Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. Welcome to Breaking Down Biosimilars, a podcast that brings light to biosimilars and helps you better understand the role they play in your healthcare now and in the future. I'm Zoe Rothblatt. And I'm Connor Mertens. Both of us are patient advocates and community outreach managers at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. Our goal is to introduce you to biosimilars, what they are, how they get approved, their potential savings, and what promises they hold. We also hear from a few people who've been taking biosimilars about their own experiences, and we cover some of the common myths about biosimilars and try to separate fact from fiction. So Zoe, let's face it, biosimilars are kind of a mystery to a lot of people. Yep, that's right. And Connor, you know, we work at GHLF and do this for a living, and I often still get confused. Oh, totally. Me too. And that's why we're doing this podcast, so we can break it down together and learn what biosimilars are all about. And there certainly is a lot to break down and a lot of terms along the way. Unfortunately, it does seem like a lot of the confusion was created to make patients unsure about these medications. So let's remember to stop each other for getting lost. (laughs) Definitely. So for this first episode, we'll focus on some of the common questions about biosimilars, like what is the difference between a biosimilar and a generic? What's the difference between a biosimilar and a biologic? And we'll also hear from a few healthcare providers and patients about how they are using biosimilars. Well, let's dive right in. So Zoe, there's a lot of confusion between biosimilar drugs and generic drugs. These days, if you walk into a drugstore, you can see lots of generic drugs on the shelves next to brand name drugs. They're a lot cheaper because they don't have the fancy packaging or expensive advertising. So why aren't there any biosimilar drugs on the shelves? Well, first of all, the stuff you see on the drugstore shelves are things known as small molecule drugs. They're made from simple chemical structures that are fairly easy to replicate. So when you're creating a generic of one of those, it's pretty straightforward. But many other conditions like Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, or psoriatic arthritis are a lot more complex. And that means that the drugs used to treat them are also a lot more complex. And those kind of drugs are biological drugs. They're made up of living organisms like proteins, cells, tissues, and antibodies. Okay, okay. So so that means if you're going to try to replicate a biologic drug, it's not as easy, right? Right, because if you're trying to replicate something made from living organisms, it's a lot more complex than, you know, recreating a simple chemical structure. So that means that biosimilars won't be 100% exact copies, but they will be very, very close. And this actually explains the name. Bio, because they replicate biological drugs, and similar, because they're not actual duplicates. Do biosimilars work the same way as their original or reference biologic drugs? Well, maybe we should hear from an expert. But before we do that, I'm noticing a term. Ah, you caught me. Originator biologic. This is the biologic that the biosimilar is based off of. It's also referred to as the reference biologic or reference product. Great. Now back to our question at hand. Do biosimilars work the same as their originator biologic? I talked to Dr. Samir Alsare, an internal medicine physician who's also part of the Kaiser Permanente Health Network. I asked him to break this down for us, what the differences are between generics and biosimilars. Biosimilars are biologics. 
whether they're the originator product or the biosimilar, they're both biologics. And we could kind of compare that to what generics are for brand name drugs. But it's important to understand that generics are copies of brand name drugs. Biologics and biosimilars are both made from living organisms. So they cannot be exact copies of each other. But it's important to understand that they're actually highly similar to each other. And to put it simply, it just means that they work just as good in patients and there's really no meaningful difference in terms of safety, purity, or potency. For example, if we have a patient with rheumatoid arthritis and they take the original biologic or the biosimilar, their rheumatoid arthritis will improve with either of them. In Dr. Ausari's case, it did take some time before the Kaiser Permanente oncologist felt comfortable with using biosimilars. So what they did was conduct their own internal study. We had 700 patients who were taking the original biologic, and then we have the next 700 taking the biosimilar, and our oncologists were able to see that there was really no difference in how the patients did with either of those medications. Once they were able to see that, we have been on a tear with biosimilars. Every new one that has come on, we have been able to get adoption from our physicians. It's also important to give patients time to understand what biosimilars are. It seems like getting buy-in from patients about biosimilars is super important here. That's absolutely right, Connor. And one of those patients is Lauren McClinton. She told me that a medication she was taking had more or less stopped working. So what she did was have a conversation with her rheumatologist about changing her treatment plan. In discussing this treatment plan, her rheumatologist recommended a different medication for which there is a biosimilar. At first, I had sort of been wary of biosimilars because they kind of felt like a generic or a, a not so great option. But after having a conversation with my rheumatologist, she explained that the biosimilar that I would be taking is very, very similar to the original one. And the difference really lies more so in the branding and the naming of it as opposed to the actual efficacy of the medication. My experience learning about biosimilars was just like, this is a great option that I think will work for you from a medical professional that I really trusted. So Lauren, I wanted to ask you, how are you feeling now one year into being on this biosimilar? How has it helped you? In what ways do you feel better? Maybe not so much. Tell us about how you're feeling overall. The number one greatest impact that it has had has been helping manage my fatigue. Before taking a biosimilar, I was able to curb my joint pain and symptoms like that through other types of medication, but I never really found that anything sort of was able to tackle the fatigue. And it's not something that you notice because fatigue sort of sneaks up on you and you don't really notice that you're feeling tired every day until you're not tired every day. And that was really, really stupendous. So it sounds like Lauren, with the help of her doctor, found the right treatment plan and had a good experience so far taking a biosimilar, but it still seems like a lot of people have never heard of them. Well, that's probably because biosimilars are so new here in the U.S. They've actually only been around since 2015, and even a lot of doctors and pharmacists are still learning about them. I also had the chance to speak to Dr. Simon Helfgott, a rheumatologist from the Boston area who's been in practice for 35 years. 
I'm the Director of Education and Fellowship Training at Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is a large teaching hospital with a large rheumatology fellowship. I've been in charge of that program since about 2004. I'm very interested in medical education, medical teaching, but I also love seeing patients and getting that hands-on relationship with patients where you can see their joints, examine them, listen to their stories, and hopefully try to help them as well. Dr. Helmgott says there was a lot of thought put into coming up with the term biosimilars. We didn't want to overstate it. We didn't want to call these bioidentical products because they're not exactly carbon copies of the originator product but they're not generic like a pill would be generics. For example, if somebody was on, I'll use the example of Lipitor, which was the most commonly prescribed cholesterol-lowering drug for many years, and it's generic as atorvastatin. And then when Lipitor went off patent, atorvastatin came on the market. And by now, I'm going to guess there are probably five or six, if not more, forms of atorvastatin, and they're all generic. It's sort of similar with biosimilars, although it has not happened to that degree. But a biosimilar is a bit different because a biological drug is different. A biological drug is a product that was carefully designed and created to attack one portion of the immune system that is overly active and causing a disease state to occur. And to create these biological drugs took quite a bit of skill and ingenuity. And these are structures that are two or even three-dimensional in shape, meaning you can't just put together a bunch of compounds like you would in a pill and then just mash it up into a pill and expect it's going to work. These drugs vary quite a bit on how they're structured and how they're created. So for that reason, we refer to them as biological drugs because they have this specific biological effect that each one particularly has. Well, that explains it really well. But Zoe, it still seems like biosimilars are nowhere near as prevalent in the marketplace as generic drugs. Do we know how many are actually out there? There aren't a whole lot just yet, and we'll get more into this later in the series, but Dr. Helfgott says there are a lot of interesting developments on the horizon. Right now, we are dealing primarily with drugs that are, at least in the rheumatology sphere, they're drugs that are all infused, given intravenously. There are biosimilars that will be self-injectable, but they have not yet reached the market, but they will in the next 12 to 18 months. And with the development of the Jack kinase drugs, which are pills, but we consider them in the same family as biologicals, there will be oral versions of Jack kinase drugs when those patents go off, which is also just a few years away. On our next episode of Breaking Down Biosimilars, we'll take a look at the process of getting a biosimilar drug approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, also known as the FDA. The FDA is obviously heavily invested in making sure that the drugs that they're representing, that they're putting their seal of approval on, are administered safely, accurately, and with all the support that they need. We'll explore just how long that process takes and what a manufacturer needs to do to prove that a biosimilar drug is just as effective as a biologic drug. And we'll also dive into why naming conventions for biosimilars are so important. And we hope you learn something new about biosimilars how they compare to generic drugs and their reference biologic. We'd love to hear from you about your reactions to this first episode. Send your email to breakingdownbiosimilars at ghlf.org. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Biosimilars, a podcast that brings light to biosimilars and helps you better understand the role they play in your healthcare now and in the future. If you like this episode, give us a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people like you find us. I'm Connor Mertens. And I'm Zoe Rothblatt. See you next time. 
Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.